if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the first six verses. Um, if you don't own a Bible, there are some in this back corner. Um, you can take that. That is our gift to you. You can have that. Um, and then also, it'll be on the screen behind me if you didn't bring one with you today. So big question, really, really, really big question as we get started. Who is Jesus Christ? This is the most important question, but, but it's one that doesn't give just one answer in our culture. That some would say Jesus is a great teacher. Some would say he's a great prophet. Many other religions claim him to be this kind of great teacher or a great prophet. Some would say Jesus is perfect for when I need something. Kind of that genie in a bottle. Some would say that Jesus is a good guy, that he's kind of that bobblehead in your car, just there, just kind of floating around, making you happy. And, and in our culture, you can actually buy a bobblehead Jesus. And so when we say, who is Jesus Christ, there are all these kinds of answers. And what we believe here today is that Jesus is the resurrected life. He is God the Father. He is God the Son. He is Lord over our life. And so however you answer that question, wherever you're coming from, I believe that how you see and how you understand who Jesus is will affect how you see yourself and how you see the world around you. And that that will directly affect your ability to live life to the fullest possibility. And so for us, when we answer that question, who is Jesus Christ, we tend to all agree that the first part is Jesus was a man who lived on earth. That even, even the atheists believe that Jesus was this guy who was, who was kind of a good guy that, that lived. But where we tend to be divided on is that he, the truth that he came to give his life so that we could have life in him. This is so many different options of who Jesus Christ is. And so really what I want to do over the next 30 minutes or so is, is just kind of, spoiler alert, I just want to talk about Jesus. Okay, so to the best uh, ability that I have, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. But let's, let's consider this first. We live in a culture and a time where when something is broken, we throw it out. When something is broken, we throw it out. And we don't finish what we start. We don't finish what we start. And think about that one thing in your home that sits in the corner, taking up space unfinished. And if you're going, I don't have any one of those things, you're a liar, Okay. Because all of us have these things that are unfinished. And imagine someone coming in and saying to you, I'm going to complete that for you. I'm going to finish that for you and bring resolve to that. I would imagine that all of us would have somewhat of mixed emotions. That someone, some would say, listen, it's, it's my mess. You, you shouldn't have to take that on. Some, someone would respond and say, please, please take that on. I can't believe that's still unfinished. Please take that on. And then others, I think, would, would get kind of defensive about that and, and just kind of say, this is my unfinished stuff. It's not your problem. It's not your burden to bear, and it's not your right to think it is. And so these are all of the, the different responses when it comes to our unfinished stuff. But here's the reality and the truth of Jesus, that this is what Jesus did. He stepped into our mess and into our space and he took on what was ours as his own. So you and I have unfinished parts of our lives that we continually try to finish and complete. And without Jesus, our lives will remain unfinished with a peace that will never be completed on our own. But when we put our faith in Jesus, our belief in Jesus, what remains undone and complete on our own is now complete once and for all when we believe in him. 
So this is the reason for our celebration, and this is the reason for my joy this morning. I'm not angry at you. I'm passionate for you. I want you to hear who Jesus is, that it's Jesus' finished work. It's not by my work, not by my effort, not by your work, not by your effort. It's by Jesus' finished work. And so now, through him, we see that Jesus not only did what he said he was going to do, but he said truthfully who he was. He told us this. And now through him, we have the way to the Father. We have the truth of the gospel and the life that he gives in himself. And so that's really your outline. It's not very creative for for me, but that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And so as we open in John 14, this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. And so in this, Leading up to Jesus' death over that 48 hours, he's telling them these truths. Listen, here's what I want you to know about who I am, that I tell you the truth, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's encouraging them and, and, and challenging them to believe these things, to understand these things before he's going off to die. And so this is where we pick up in John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Now, I'm just going to stop right there for a second. And for you, if you're new, you're going, oh, dear God, he didn't even get through one verse. Oh, man, we're going to be here a while. You're good. You're okay. And, and we will. It'll pick up. But here's, here's why I want to stop. Because you and I are not like Jesus. We don't respond like Jesus. We don't naturally think like Jesus. And so leading up to his death, knowing that he's going to die a criminal's gruesome death. He doesn't respond with, guys, get on board. You need to understand this. You need to get this. He says, listen, let not your hearts be troubled. Here's the truth of who I am for you and for all who would believe. And so Jesus is saying, trust in me. Trust in me, believe in me. And then he goes on to say, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And I love this, because everybody's thinking it, but only Thomas says it. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We have no idea where you're going. He says, how can we know the way? How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus makes some pretty bold claims. And first Jesus says that he is the way. That when God made man, he made us together, man and woman, in his own image. But as sin entered the world, we became separated from God. So God being just And holy, not being able to have anything to do with sin-filled people, he put a system in place that would point his people to him and give them the way to the Father. And in the song, in fact, we read earlier, or the song we sang in the verse of It Is Finished, we sang that there's no deed that can redeem us, there's no right, no magic word, only by the work of Jesus can salvation be secured. So here's what this means. You and I are not awesome. You and I are not awesome. And there are things that you and I can try to do to be awesome and be better, but you and I will always fall short. So God doesn't even want our best. 
We're always going to fall short. So God doesn't even want our best version of trying to be awesome. And what we see is before Jesus came to earth, God gave his people the law. I think in today's day and age, we kind of view this, this word as a dirty word, like a swear word. But even the psalmist would say that this word is beautiful, that he meditates on God's law day and night. And the law was given with the purpose to line up God's people with how God made all things to work. And so God's people, as they tried to even fulfill the law, they fell short of fulfilling the law, and we too would fall short of this. We too fall short of this. So let's just take a a test here for a minute. Maybe for you, you're you're thinking, man, he just read one verse and talked about it for a while. Now we're doing tests. This is terrible. But but just just bear with me, okay? Let's take the Ten Commandments test. Let's take this text. We, We see in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, Let's see how well we line up with fulfilling these laws, these commands. In the first command, God says, you shall have no other gods before me. So here's the question. Do you love things with more dedication and with more fervor than you love God? You don't have to answer that. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so do I. So then we see in the sixth commandment, you shall not murder And maybe you're thinking right there, hey, pastor, I I haven't murdered anybody. Why are you saying that maybe I might have murdered someone? I haven't broken this commandment. No, but your heart is filled with anger. And and as we look at the seventh commandment, it says, you shall not commit adultery. And maybe you're going, I haven't committed adultery. I've been faithful to my marriage. I've been faithful to my relationship. Yeah, but your heart is filled with lust. So you and I are going to over and over and over again fail this test. And so here's why these 10 commandments were given. It wasn't for you and I to, to at our very best point, try to be our best. But it was given so that it would show us at the very base level that you and I would never be able to do this on our own. That we needed help. So when Jesus came and he lived life here on earth, he lived a sinless life. He lined himself up with God and he showed us a better way by fulfilling what we never could for our sake. And what God was saying through this law was, I want you to pursue me. I want you to know me and I want you to choose me. But the reality is that whether we intended to or not, you and I have belittled that. You and I have belittled his name and belittled his glory and and every one of us here at one time or another, intentionally or unintentionally, believe, we have believed that our way is better than God's. But the truth is, let me just tell you the truth right now, we make crummy gods. We make crummy gods. And so where we stand on our own is not the position that God desires for us to stand in. That where we stand on our own is that you and I chose hell, God chose heaven. You and I chose damnation, but God chose salvation. You and I chose to run from God, but God chose to run after you through Jesus. So it's God's pursuit with his desire of our response. This is one of the beautiful truths of the Bible, that it's always been God reaching out to man, not man reaching to God. That our reaching back is is only in a response to God the Father's pursuit of us. So Jesus stands in the gap. He says, I am the way. There is no other way. I've fulfilled the law. I've fulfilled the sacrificial system. I've fulfilled all that is before you. 
He stands in the great chasm between us and God becoming the way to the Father. The second thing Jesus says is that he is the truth. And Jesus is the way to God because he is the truth of God. And if I could just simplify that for you, it would be that Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure of himself. That Jesus is God's gracious self-disclosure of himself. And the apostle Paul actually would say to the church in Colossae, that in Colossians 1.15, he would say, he being Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. So do you want to know what God is like? Do you want to know what the love of God, the character of God, the faithfulness of God is like? Then look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. And he claimed this. He made, Jesus made bold claimants. He said that he was sinless. No other person said they were sinless. In John 8, 46, Jesus said, which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Jesus said that he was sinless. No one else is perfect as Jesus was perfect. Not Muhammad, not Gandhi, not Mother Teresa, not you and not me. None of us are perfect. And you may have walked in here as a good person, but you are not God. Jesus claimed that he was God in the flesh. John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. In all of history, only Jesus had made these claims and they have come to be true. And here's what I know to be true of our culture in the midst of this truth about Jesus. That that there is a belief that, that truth is relative. That you have your truth and I have my truth. But here, Jesus is claiming that he is the truth. That here in this fact, there is no relative truth. There is no what you believe about Jesus and what I believe about Jesus. It is just that Jesus is who he says he is. That he is the truth. He's the fulfillment of the promise. He is the way to relationship with the Father. And he is the way home. No one other than him can make that claim or has made that claim. And through that, Jesus says, I am the life. Jesus is the life, and he even tacks on to the end of that of John 14 and verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Jesus makes it clear the only way to eternal life is through him. Now, maybe for you, you're kind of thinking, brother, you can't possibly believe this old thinking. You can't possibly believe this offensive, singular idea that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is the life. He is the truth. Let me just tell you, yeah, I do. I do believe this. And I don't believe that it's offensive whatsoever. I believe that this is God's grace and his truth poured out for you and I in Jesus Christ. That this in of itself is not offensive at all, but it is the truth of a life that we have to be able to live in Christ. And this is where Jesus trades places with us. He takes on our life that we would take on his resurrected life. So Jesus takes on our life of sin and guilt and separation from the Father. He does this at the cross so that we could take on his resurrected and eternal life. So at the cross, all of the death, all of the shame, and all of the condemnation that we deserved went to Jesus. 
And in his resurrection, all the forgiveness and all the love and all the grace that Jesus rightly has as the sinless son of God comes to you and I. But for you, if you don't believe in the righteousness of Jesus, then what I, what I believe is kind of happening for you is you're trying to earn your own righteousness. And here's what kind of happens in this. You begin to have to pretend and project a false strength. In your own righteousness, because of your own imperfection, all you have is a false sense and a false reality of strength. So if you feel tired and worried that one day you'll be found out, that everyone is all of a sudden going to see that you're not as strong as you really are. You're not as good as you think you really are. And you're definitely not perfect. Can I just be honest with you? You're not. You're not. The only true measure of righteousness is Jesus. The only true measure of righteousness is Jesus. So it's not about your attempt at your own self-righteousness. It's about you choosing to believe in Jesus and rest in his righteousness. This is why I can sit with dear brothers in Christ and be honest about the wreckage of my own life. This is why I don't try to come here on a Sunday morning and and teach you my own perfection. That's my own ugly self-righteousness. The only true measure of righteousness is Jesus. And those who believe in him rest in that. They have no concern or worry of their own self-righteousness. Oh man, I might one day be found out. I might be found out to not be as perfect as I think. The reality in that and trusting in Jesus' righteousness is I'll never be perfect. I'm okay with that. I never want to try to be perfect. Jesus is perfect. I trust in his righteousness alone. It is Christ in me that is my righteousness. It is not my righteousness on my own. Now, I've shared an illustration with you before, but for many of you, this is new, so this is a good one. But this illustration where a couple months back, on King 5 News, there was a story of a mom who lost her four-year-old son to unknown circumstances, freak accident somehow. And on the table as her son lay dead with no hope of life, there was a a girl not far from there in great need of a heart because she was dying of heart failure. As a four-year-old girl, she was dying. And so in this moment, the mom willingly gave up the son's heart for this little girl. And so she had the surgery and through that, she had new life. And the mom later met up with the girl and the girl's mom. And as she spent time with them and got to see the joy in the girl of having new life, they handed her a stethoscope. And they said, listen to your son's heartbeat. And so the mother took this stethoscope, placing it on the girl's heart, hearing her son's heartbeat alive, still beating. This is what we have. This is what happens when we choose to believe in Christ and put our faith in Christ. 
That this is the good news of the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God, not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skills, not by how good we do, following less of this and more of that, but by Christ alone. We have been justified before God by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So when we receive Christ and he is in us, it is his righteousness in us, not our own righteousness that we have to kind of put this false persona of out there. It's Christ's righteousness. So then as we choose to believe in Christ Jesus, God the Father puts the spiritual stethoscope up to our hearts and he says, that's my son's heartbeat alive in you. See, the beauty of this is that God acted first on our behalf. Because the dead are not capable of reviving themselves. So for us to have a life in Christ, God moved towards us in love. He moved towards us and he moved towards us in grace through Jesus. So what that does then for you and I is that changes our identity. That changes our identity. So if you are in Christ, you are in Christ's position. And Christ has stepped into your position. That Christ suffered and died so that we might live. That if you are in Christ, you stand in the position of Christ. That you are loved by God as Christ is loved by God. You are accepted by God as Christ is accepted. And you are made righteous by Christ's righteousness alone. This is the good news of the gospel. Because we are not saved by what we do or who we are on our own. We are saved by who Jesus is and what he has done. And so maybe for you, you're you're sitting here. And for you, you have never been in a relationship with God before. Or you have walked away from relationship with God. And you hear this truth, but you don't know how to receive this truth as your new identity, as your new life. And the Bible would tell us to first confess and believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The Romans 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And then scripture would also continue to tell us that then immediately after we're to be baptized. That as those that are saved, the next step of obedience as followers of Christ is to symbolically do what Christ did for us on the cross. And so not, not having a, a walk of belief and, and a walk of sin life, but a change of life through baptism. Romans 6 verse 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so as we confess and believe that he is Lord over our life, As we are baptized, then we are to walk in new life. And Paul said in Colossians 2.6, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. These are the truths 
of who Jesus is. That Jesus is truly the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus is the way of knowing and experiencing God as our heavenly father, of being in eternity with him. Jesus is the embodiment of truth that provides freedom from guilt and bondage and, and sin and shame and separation from God. And Jesus is the life that gets us home. So for you sitting here, whether you are a wandering believer who's walked away from your relationship with Jesus or you've never known him before in your life, I just have one question for you. Would you come home? Jesus is the only way to home. Jesus is the only way to truth and he is the only way to life. So would you put your trust and belief in him? Be obedient to him as Lord over your life, completely trusting in him and come home. Let's pray.